Hello, I'm Robin Gill, and you're listening to The West Block. This week on The West Block, the WE charity controversy and the Trudeau family. The charity WE was awarded a $900 million federal contract without any competition. Plus the growing calls from the opposition for the Prime Minister to explain. We get a different answer from uh, the Prime Minister's office. And cornering China. Keeping the pressure on as we are through various intermediaries. Cease the arbitrary detention of these two uh, Canadian citizens. We begin the show with the ethics scandal engulfing the Prime Minister. This week, we learned family members of Justin Trudeau profited from speaking engagements with WE Charity. WE was awarded a $900 million federal contract without any competition to handle student grants. The contract was pulled after intense criticism about how it was awarded. The charity says it paid Margaret Trudeau, the Prime Minister's mother, about $250,000 for approximately 28 speaking engagements. It also paid Alexandra Trudeau, the Prime Minister's brother, 32000 for eight appearances. We says the Prime Minister's wife was paid $1,400 for one event and has volunteered for many others. The Prime Minister, for his part, has insisted that the WE charity was the only program in the country that could administer a nationwide student volunteer program. He has also said he did not recuse himself from any discussions at Cabinet about the program. I have not? Uh, long worked on youth issues, uh, both as uh, before I got into politics and since I've been in politics as a uh, youth critic, uh, getting young people uh, involved in uh, serving their country, recognizing their desire to build a better Canada, particularly due to, through this time of crisis, is something that I believe in deeply. Joining us now to talk more about this is Arif Farani, the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Justice and Attorney General. Michael Barrett is a Conservative Member of Parliament from Ontario. And Don Davies, the NDP MP representing the riding of Vancouver Kingsway. Arif, let's start with you. The Prime Minister says this is not a conflict of interest, yet his mother, wife, brother all receive speaking fees. So I think we've got a situation where we have uh, an extremely important program that's part of a whole host of uh, benefit programs and income security that we've rolled out for people across every demographic. So that's the first point. I don't think anyone takes issue with the fact that assisting students in terms of whether they have job placements or volunteer placements, but giving them some financial stability is a good, important goal and public objective during the pandemic. W the way the program is rolled out obviously has been disappointing. Uh, the, uh, it has not gone uh, the way it should have gone. We acknowledge that. The Prime Minister acknowledges that. What we now have is an ethics commissioner investigation that is about to, to commence. The Prime Minister has indicated he's willing to comply with uh, all aspects of that investigation. And we've also got a finance committee investigation that has started on the parliamentary side. Uh, we are willing to comply with this because I think it's important in terms of the transparency of the process. But again, the dis original decision was a departmental decision that was made and then brought to cabinet. And that decision was then ratified by the cabinet. And the prime minister, in terms of his lifelong commitment to young people as an educator, now as prime minister, as a previous minister of youth, feels that uh, he was uh, uh, completely valid in terms of maintaining his position at the cabinet table when the decision was being taken. But Arif, why didn't he recuse himself from cabinet meetings? 
Well, I think the, the ultimate dis determination about that and the ultimate conclusion on that is something that Mario Dion will find as a process, as a, as a byproduct of the ethics investigation itself. Uh, there's been concern expressed about uh, monetary payments flowing to members of the Prime Minister's family. What the Prime Minister said quite clearly is that uh, himself and Sophie Grégoire had not received uh, monies. Uh, it has come to light that his mother and his brother have received monies. And as I've indicated previously uh, to other representatives of the media, that we know that Margaret Trudeau in particular is herself a public personality. She's a very uh, outspoken leader on mental health issues, has speaking engagements around the country, indeed probably uh, in different countries around the planet. And the Prime Minister is not privy to all of the to's and fro's of what his mother is and is engaging, is or is not engaging on, nor whether she's receiving financial compensation. But the other thing I would point out, and I think it's important for your viewers, is that um, a traditional conflict of interest analysis is looking at when there's some pecuniary gain that's being procured, usually in a business setting. This is a not-for-profit organization that we used, we were proposing to use to administer a program. And it's unlike, it's, it's very similar to the many other programs we've rolled out during the pandemic. So when we rolled out money for food banks, we used entities like Daily Bread and Second Harvest to help administer those funds. When we rolled out money to help community agencies, we used Sound Trade in the United Way. It was indifferent in this context. The party that was chosen was We Canada, and that was again a recommendation by the department officials at ESDC. But we know that Finance Minister Bill Morneau's daughter was also involved with WE. Did he recuse himself at Cabinet? So I understand that information is, has recently come to light. I, I'm, I'm not aware of uh, whether Minister Morneau recused himself at the Cabinet table. So I, perhaps you'd have to pose that question directly to Minister Morneau. Michael, can we talk to you now about this? Isn't an ethics investigation, isn't, is an ethics investigation enough on this, or do you think that there needs to be more? Uh, Conservatives are calling for uh, the police to, uh, to take a look at this case. We believe that um, there, there is uh, sufficient uh, grounds here for them to take a look at the criminal code and take a look at uh, the events um, that have been unfolding over the last two weeks. Look, we have a nearly $1 billion sole-sourced contract uh, being awarded to an organization with direct ties to the Liberal Party of Canada and to the family of Justin Trudeau and ties to him himself. But yesterday uh, and in the past few days, we've learned that there were hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash given from this organization to members of the Prime Minister's family. And that's what makes this different than any of the other programs that uh, Arif mentioned. Those programs weren't uh, awarded to, those contracts weren't awarded to uh, organizations that were paying members of the Prime Minister's family um, sums of money that are incomprehensible to, to most everyday Canadians, getting speaking fees uh, in the terms of thousands of dollars per hour. And with respect to the program and the importance of this program, it's a, it's a redundant or parallel program to one already exists. The uh, Federal Professional Public Service administers the Canada Summer Jobs Program every year. Uh, all kinds of jobs are approved. The program never has enough money. Conservatives called for funding to be doubled, get more students into all kinds of great opportunities, including at charities, including at uh, not-for-profits and museums and, uh, and public sector and private sector uh, employment opportunities. And, but that's not what we went with here. This was a hand-picked organization with direct ties to the Prime Minister and his family, and we've been learning about additional members of the federal cabinet who have family ties to this organization as well, and we're hearing that they didn't recuse themselves from the decision-making process, which is entirely inappropriate.
Don, do you think that there should be a criminal investigation? And should the prime minister step aside while the ethics investigation takes place? Well, I, I'm not so sure that uh, we're at the point where we can we can go that far. But what I will say is, uh, first of all, let's let's say what this isn't about. This isn't about the importance of helping young people. It's not about questioning anybody's commitment to young people. It's what the issue here is one of dishonesty and and unethical behavior. Let's start with uh, with uh, the with the unethical behavior. Everybody knows that you shouldn't. Uh, give out an untendered sole source contract worth a billion dollars uh, to an organization that your family members have received money from. If if any of the, your viewers put themselves in that situation and thought, well, if your boss came to you and said, here's a billion dollars, I want you to go out and, and find a, a good supplier for our business. And it turned out that, that you didn't find any other uh, organizations, you didn't put out a tender, you didn't get any estimates, and it turned out that the, the organization you chose paid your mother and your brother money, I think your average person would see what's wrong with that. Let's look at the dishonesties. Um, we said uh, that the PMO contacted them. Then when the Liberals denied that, uh, we reversed themselves. We said they never paid any Trudeau family members. They reversed themselves when contrary information came to light. Prime Minister Trudeau said that neither he nor his family had ever been paid. Now we find out that compensation was paid to his, his mother and brother and potentially even uh, his wife. Um, and, and now we, see, we hear the Prime Minister saying that no other organization in the country could have done this, um, which is clearly not the case. And when pressed to name other organizations that they considered, he won't do so. So, um, you know, the fact that they withdrew so quickly on this tells me that there's a lot of, uh, of nervousness on behalf of the Liberal Party. They know what they did is wrong, and this is the third time that Prime Minister Trudeau in the last five years has gotten himself into conflict of interest issues, twice being found guilty. So I think this is a serious matter, and we're talking about a billion dollars of taxpayers' dollars um, that should have been distributed through the public service, which did an excellent job doing, pro, uh, doing that through CERB. So I don't have see why they would have departed from that very successful model. And that has been the ongoing question. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Let's bring in Global News political commentator Sapria Duavetti and Global Nationals David Aiken. Sapria, let's start with you. How bad does this look for the Prime Minister? Well, I think the worst part about this is that this is yet another own goal that the uh, Prime Minister has scored basically on himself irrespective of whether or not, you know, what the findings are from the ethics commissioner, I think on the face of this, for your average regular person, they would say that there's an appearance of a conflict here. And that is really ultimately all that matters. If there's an appearance of a conflict, then the right thing to have done in the situation would have been to recuse yourself from, you know, that, that those uh, decision-making processes. And that clearly wasn't done. David, the opposition is asking for a criminal investigation. How realistic is that? Uh, probably unrealistic, uh, but there are some other important investigations going on. Obviously, the one from Parliament's Ethics Commissioner is underway. And need I remind everybody, this is not the first nor the second, but the third time that the Ethics Commissioner has had to interview the Prime Minister about his activities while he was Prime Minister. And of course, the other two times he was found to have broken conflict of interest uh, allegations or uh, uh, acts. Um, in addition to that, we may see the Auditor General uh, also want to take a look at this. And there are now two, not one, but two House of Commons committees that also want to uh, interview 
uh, people from we want to interview people in the PMO and more importantly interview some cabinet ministers and I should note those House of Commons committees when they decided to do this investigation it was unanimous which means liberals on those committees want to know what the heck's going on here. Supriya, the Prime Minister's spokesperson says that his relatives have various organizations and their own causes. Is that a way to justify this? So it's definitely fair to say that the prime minister clearly isn't responsible for whatever, you know, his mother and brother decide to do and whatever organizations that they want to speak for, what, whatever speaker fees that, that they want to get. But that's not really the issue here. The issue here is that there was a sole source contract uh, to an organization that the prime minister clearly had ties to and the finance minister, by the way, had ties to through um, one of his daughters and, and, and one of the founders of the WE organization, as well as I believe his other daughter is currently working for the organization. Um, so there, there's a, a whole lot here in, in which this probably should have been um, hunted down. And not only the prime minister, but the finance minister should have recused himself from any cabinet decisions going forward. I just want to say I agree, Supriya, that sure, the family can do what they want. But one key question now is you can't separate the fact that the family benefited financially, wife, mother, brother. Did the cabinet, when it signed off on its sole source contract, did the cabinet know about these financial relationships? Because now the judgment issue, it's not just the prime ministers, it's Bill Morneau, Christian Freeland, Navdi Baines, Bartosz Chagger, all those allies of the prime minister who sit on cabinet. Did they ask the prime minister some questions about his relationship to we? And did he disclose the fact that, by the way, mom, brother and wife all got checks from we? That's really important stuff. David, from your context, who really pulled the contract in the end? Was it we or was it the government? There seems to be conflicting views on that. <laughs> yes, and there's, there's, been, there's been conflicting narratives from both we and from the prime minister's office throughout this. So we don't really know. We're going to have to wait to see the paperwork. We said it withdrew. The prime minister and his uh, Rideau Cottage presser said uh, it was by mutual consent. But don't forget, we once we saw that videotape with Craig Kielberger saying, yeah, it was the PMO who phoned me up. And then he had to put it, sort of walk that one back and say, oh, I misspoke. It was somebody else. And then we see with these revelations about the payments to the Trudeaus, um, they didn't disclose those earlier because of some accounting issue and we made a mistake. So there are credibility issues on all sides here. And no, we really don't know how that contract ended up getting spiked. Supriya, at the end of the day, the opposition is asking the prime minister to step aside for this ethics investigation. How realistic is that, given that we're in the middle of a pandemic? And who wants to bring down the government in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think extremely unrealistic here. And I think this has been an issue with the opposition um, throughout, you know, the, the scandals that, that David was referring to earlier is that they often overplay their hand here. Um, I think there's definitely a, a, a story to be, you know, pursued and there's a line for the opposition uh, to run. I think Yves-François Blachette, the leader of the bloc, probably had the best line in, in that he said he should step aside while the investigation is uh, taking place. Um, but even that, I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and I can't imagine your average regular Canadian voter really has a lot of appetite for calls for resignation right now. David, we were talking about the fact that uh, the public service has suggested this, that it was their idea. In the end, the public service should be running this, shouldn't it? Well, the public service is running it. I mean, that, this sort of goes to the lie that the prime minister gave us uh, all through this, that we is the only one, it's the only organization that is capable of running it. Well, actually, sir, your own government is because they're the ones now running it, albeit it doesn't sound right now like it's a finely tuned machine. There's, there's a lot of confusion. But the federal government is, in fact, now running it. And even more so, I'm going to rely on some reporting from, uh, I think, the Globe Mail on this one. There are a lot of charities in Canada that once this contract was still in we's hands, was saying, 
We is not that kind of charity to run this kind of thing. You need to have a charity that's absolutely networked throughout Canada that can quickly place students into vacant positions in the charitable sector. That's not we. That's they're not built to do that. And sure, we saw we get in trouble. They were going to have bounties given to teachers to recruit students that had all sorts of problems on it. So we wasn't the right organization. And some of these charities are putting their hands up and saying, actually, we can do that. We are built actually to match people up. And yet the government, for some reason, believed whoever it was going to be that we was the only game in town. They're not. And we know that now because the feds are doing it. Sapria, what about the students here who need the money for tuition? They seem to be losing out on this time is running out. This summer is very short. Yeah, they are. And of course, you know, this isn't a normal summer, right? So even if this were normal circumstances, uh, my heart would go out to students that are trying to scrounge enough money for the fall. Um, and now with the pandemic, of course, a lot of those opportunities just simply aren't there. So yeah, they're really the real losers in all of this, unfortunately. Sapria David, thank you so much for your time. Last week, Australia announced it's cancelling its extradition treaty with Hong Kong, a move the Canadian government made a week earlier. But Australia, like Britain, went one step further. It will make it easier for Hong Kong residents to stay in Australia. Joining us to talk more about the growing pushback against Beijing is Kevin Rudd. He was Australia's Prime Minister from 2007 to 2010 and then again in 2013. Mr. Rudd is now a leading international voice on China. He joins us from Sydney, Australia. Mr. Rudd, how would you describe the relationship between Australia and China and how do you see this playing out? Look, structurally what's happening because of China's more assertive foreign policy around the world is that it's uh, not just Canada that's singled out, it's not just Australia that's singled out. Frankly, it's many, many uh, democracies around the world. If we were having this discussion in Sweden at the moment, uh, we'd have a similar conversation. So what has changed structurally is that China is now pushing out with a much more assertive foreign policy, a much more strident foreign policy across the board. And as a result, uh, we all find ourselves with similar degrees of structural difficulty. Last week, Australia's Department of Foreign Affairs warned Australians living in China or planning to travel there that they could arbitrarily be detained. Do you think China will start doing this? Well, everyone in the world is very mindful of uh, your Canadian Michaels, uh, both of them. And I follow this case very closely. Uh, I'm a student of China. I speak Chinese. I've lived in Beijing before ever going into political office. And so I'm very mindful of uh, the circumstances of these two individuals. And it now being, what, a year and a half or more down the track, um, this is a salutary warning, I think, to all um, Western democracies about um, crossing swords with uh, China on core questions of their national interests. So therefore, uh, while I'm not privy to the intelligence community because I'm out of office and what it's saying, um, there are prudent levels of concern now on the part of many countries about their nationals' well-being within China, either as tourists, as travellers, as students or as business people. Um, and the sooner we can um, see the uh, release of the two Michaels, better for them, better for Canada, better for the world. China is Australia's largest trading partner, and Beijing has already threatened economic retaliation in light of the response to its clampdown on Hong Kong. Given China's economic dominance, what should Canada's response be, in your view, when it comes to responding the the, to this? Well, the truth of the matter is, I think, uh, observing from afar, the Trudeau government has done practically all it can. You see, ultimately, this boils down to the, the state of the U.S.-China relationship. 
you guys in Canada have become the meat in the geopolitical sandwich between the two of them. And because of that, um, uh, these two individuals have now been incarcerated. Of course, this all goes back to the Madame Mung matter and Huawei and her father, Ren Zhengfei, uh, and uh, the entire um, elite structure of Chinese uh, domestic politics. And so on your core question is how is this unblocked? Frankly, the action lies with the US judicial authorities. And my argument would simply be this. Look, on the matter which uh, Madame Meng is currently uh, arraigned for, uh, which uh, deals with uh, ultimately uh, the implementation of US unilateral sanctions against Iran and whether Huawei or one of its subsidiaries has violated those sanctions and been transparent with its uh, financial institutions that it's dealing with about that. If the United States is going to continue to treat this as a criminal matter, then guess what? The extradition procedures with Canada will continue to unfold. Whereas wisdom may lie in the United States doing what I believe it's done in similar cases in the past, which is to regard this not as a criminal matter, but as a civil matter. And therefore, if it's resolved as a civil matter before uh, the courts, uh, then it would result in some very large fine being uh, administered to the corporation concerned. Now, I'm not fully familiar with the case law here, but um, uh, I understand that there are precedents for the way in which this can be handled. So the ball lies in the US DOJ's court. As you know, China detained and charged two Canadians, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, with espionage. Our Prime Minister says this is hostage diplomacy in response to the arrest of Meng Wanzhou here in Vancouver. What can Canada do to free the two Michaels? Well, I don't believe that's possible under Canadian law. Uh, you Canadians, like we Australians, believe in something old-fashioned called the rule of law. Uh, we actually believe in the integrity of our long-standing extradition treaties. Uh, and therefore, we're obliged to uh, operate under those, under the terms of the law. But the extradition matter itself in Canada concerning Madame Mung, and therefore the retaliatory actions taken in relation to the two Michaels, ultimately proceeds from a discretionary decision by the United States Department of Justice. And frankly, I think the Trump administration uh, has um, some questions to answer as to how they have handled this themselves. China watchers have pointed out that what Beijing fears the most is an anti-China coalition. What more do you think Australia and other allies of Canada can do to help free the two Michaels? Look, I'm confident that um, those channels have been well and truly deployed uh, by the government of Canada with its friends and allies around the world. And it's not appropriate to comment uh, on that in a public program. Uh, all I'm saying is that if you strip all those questions away and go back to its absolute core, this is a discretionary decision by the US Department of Justice to act in a particular manner in a criminal prosecution in a case which I believe could be handled as a civil matter, as I believe the United States has done in similar cases in the past and administer a fine to Huawei or its subsidiaries. Do you think if Western nations, including Canada, Australia, the US, take a united front on China, this will change Beijing's behavior? Well, the bottom line is, as I said before in our interview, uh, China has become much more assertive in its foreign policy under Xi Jinping. We can trace the origins of that back to about the end of 2013. And it's been a fairly clear trajectory ever since then. Part of that's to do with the United States itself. But part of it also impacts upon other Asian and Western democracies. 
So uh, I believe the common challenge for all of us is to be very clear about our principles. And what I've argued to the Australian government since I've left office is I would say to other governments around the world, one, be very clear that we are all liberal democracies and we stand up for universal human rights. That's who we are. Number two, we're, many of us are allies of the United States. Uh, and that's not about to change anytime soon. Three, we would like to prosecute a mutually beneficial economic relationship with you and China. Four, we'd like to work with you collaboratively in the institutions of global governance, like on climate change through the G20 and elsewhere, and on pandemic management. Um, but five, um, if China continues to push hard against middle powers like Canada or Australia and others in the European Union and others in Asia, then action creates reaction and you'll then find automatically other countries beginning to coalesce together and develop a common strategy for dealing with these levels of Chinese pressure. Mr. Rudd, thank you so much for your time. Good to be with you. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. For the West Block, I'm Robin Gill.